Hear now the word of the Lord from 1 Samuel 17, 1 to 11, from the New International Version. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Socha in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Damim between Socha and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elon and drew up their battle lines to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another, with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. On his legs, on his legs were bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you all will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight with each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Here comes, here comes David. Here comes David. So there he is. We've got, we've got little, little David against mighty Goliath over here. Who do you think is going to win this fight this morning? Let's see what happens. Thank you very much. This is David. Say thank you, David. Thank you, David. Excellent job driving on here. <clears throat> want to say a big thank you to Johnny Rodriguez who read this morning. For those who know Johnny well, we just call him J-Rod because he's a big Yankees fan. Today's uh, Johnny's last. I've known Johnny for 20 years, and he's a phenomenal theologian, been a great resource to me. Johnny is leaving to Kentucky tomorrow. He's found the love of his life, Mandy, here. We had a gathering last night. He was singing Barry Manilow songs to Mandy. You know, that's just phenomenal. But Johnny's award-winning Toastmaster. So we had Johnny read this morning, did an excellent job. Thank you, Johnny, very much. So if those of you know Johnny or don't, give him a hug afterwards. Okay, one of the most famous stories of all time, uh, like you don't even have to really know the Bible like, at all to understand David and Goliath. David, you just have to watch ESPN and you hear that all the time. It's a David and Goliath matchup. It's a David and Goliath matchup. How can he win? So if I can just real quick pick up where Johnny left off, recap the rest of that uh, chapter. There's a lot of verses in that chapter. Let's just do a quick recap of what is in there. So the deal is, is that near 
the town, the little town of Bethlehem, where Jesus was born and where David was born, right? And this little town, not far from there, was what is called the Valley of Elah. So there's two mountain ridges, not huge, you know, just kind of medium-sized mountain ridges, and, you know, this creek bed in between. So you got the Israeli army on one side, Philistine army on the other side, and then notice this, what it said, every morning, first thing in the morning, this giant Goliath came out, he mocked Israel, you know, he just called, talked about their mothers, you know, all these kind of stuff, this is what he did, he just... It was humiliation. So he humiliates them, humiliates them, humiliates their God, humiliates everything about them right in the morning. He says, send somebody to fight. Everybody's afraid. Nobody's going to fight him. And he goes back. And then every night does the same thing, mocks them, humiliates them. So I want you to think about this. Think about this just a second, right? So the first thing they hear when they get up in the morning is they're humiliated. And the last thing before they go to bed at night, they're humiliated. Isn't it that way with the monsters that kind of fight against us? Those things are whatever our fears, our insecurities, our problems, our troubles, our pain, that person in our life, that whatever it might be. Isn't it the first thing you think about in the morning? The last thing you think about at night before you go to bed, you got something that's humiliating you. And when we're facing a Goliath like that, that just often happens. And that's what's happening here. And he does this for 40 days. And then one day, David's dad, Jesse, says, hey, David, I want you to go. David's not in the army. I want you to go check on your brothers. They're not too far from here. They're the Valley of Elah. In the Valley of Elah, I want you to check, see how they're doing. And then bring me back a report. So David gets up really early in the morning. He trucks off. He goes down there and he gets there just as Goliath is coming out and humiliating everybody. And he hears and he's like shocked. He's like, what is going on here? Who is this guy? Who's this uncircumcised Philistine that he's mocking God Almighty? Why isn't anybody going out and fighting him? And David is like, he, he can't believe that nobody is taking advantage of this situation to fight the mighty, mean giant. He can't believe nobody is doing that. And then David hears this. He hears that King Saul says, I will give money, lots of money. I'll give riches. I'll give my daughter in marriage. So you get to, you get to marry into the royal line. So you get money, you get to marry into the royal line and tax-free living for your family. I'll give those three things. Anybody who's willing to go out and fight the big, ugly Goliath. And nobody will take him up on it for 40 days. And David's like, well, I'm surely I don't want to step on anybody's toes around here, but somebody wants to obviously go out and fight him because Goliath can't win. Any of us can beat Goliath. That's simple. David says this in verse number 32 of chapter 6. He says, David said to Saul, King Saul, because David is, you know, just like talking and people hear this and it's like, somebody take him to the king. He says to Saul, he says, let nobody lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight. You know what strikes me about that is there's no fear. You don't sense any fear, no hesitation. You would think he'd be nervous, or he'd be afraid, he'd be something. But there's no hesitation, there's only confidence. Like, there's no way. It's the feeling is, there is no way I can lose. So everybody else, the entire army, including the king, who is very tall himself, he's the obvious person to fight Goliath, all of them are afraid, and you've got this one little fellow over here, one little fellow over here, tiny guy over here, he's like, what's the big deal? Let's go, let's get it on, man. So the king says, you're just a boy. That's what he says to David. You're just a boy. You can't go fight him. And David says, that's all it's going to take is a boy. Hey, Goliath is no problem whatsoever. It's very odd what goes on here. You know what strikes me? David obviously can see something that nobody else can see. I want to say that again. David obviously can see something that absolutely nobody else can see. About two or three months ago, 
We did something as a church staff. We got all of our staff together, all of our full-time grace staff, all of our part-time grace. We got everybody together. There's about 12 of us. And we did a team building, team coaching. Uh, there's a guy here. His name is Denny. He's a great guy. And this is what he does for a living. He says, I'll take you through a team coaching, team building day. And so this is great. So we did an all-day event with him. And he got us together. And we did a couple exercises. He put us in a certain sequence. And then at one point, he gave us this ball. We gave these balls out last year. It's a little Grace Community Church stress ball. When you're feeling under stress, you can just squeeze that thing and so he gave us the ball and he put us in a circle he says you remember the sequence you're in and so the sequence were like zigzagged all over the place but in a circle he says, I need you as fast as you can to throw the ball back and forth in the sequence and so we had to like all over we had to we had to realize we had to call each other's names and we threw it back and forth balls going over this and he timed us we did it like 12 13 14 seconds something like that he said okay that's great can you do it faster so man we were throwing it back and forth he says okay that's good but faster he says, all right, I had to get pushy. So anyway, we, we, we lined up facing each other, but in a line, and we, we devised this plan. We just put our hands out like a cup, and all you would do is focus on the person in sequence in front of you, because everybody had to touch the ball, and you would just quickly grab it and put it in your hand, the next person grab it, wham, down the line. We did it in six seconds. It was absolutely awesome. And then he looked at us, he says, is that the best you can do? Can you not do it any faster? And so we got together, all of our great minds, we got together and we huddled and we talked and we talked and said, okay, let's do this. We put the ball in the middle, a little stress ball, and we all got in a circle and sequentially we had to do this. We had to touch the ball in sequence. Boom, 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 right? And a couple of people got it out of sequence, so we had to get it right. It's all right. We bring them up to speed. And so uh, we got it. We finally got it. And you know what? We got it down to three seconds. And then we turned to Denny and we said, all right. There you go. Nobody can do it any faster than that. He said, is that the best you can do? Can't you do it any faster? And at that point, we said, nobody can do it any faster. Like, there's no way possible that it can be done faster. And he said, it's been done faster. Well, like how much? Like point second? He said, no, like twice as fast. I said, no way. And so after we argued with him a little bit and finally said, you guys are never going to figure this thing out, he showed us how to do it. We put our fingers in sequence like a little ramp. We stood on opposite sides of each other, jig, jig, right? and put a little ramp and then pushed it down the ramp. Everybody touched the ball in sequence. We did it in a second. Now, my first thought was I was very angry. <laughs> I, said to, I said to the staff, why couldn't you guys figure that out? Man, do we... And my next thought was I was very depressed. How could somebody else figure this thing out that I couldn't see? And here's the thing. Isn't that the way it is with life when we're faced with a challenge? Like, when we're immediately faced with it, we say to ourselves, there's no way to go faster. There's no way for me to solve the problem I'm facing today. Some of us in this room, we have a problem right now. You're like, okay, there's no way I can solve this problem. Or, I, or any way that I solve it, it's just going to turn out bad. Okay? How many times in, in, in life does somebody create a company or a concept or an app and we say, oh yeah, that makes total sense. I could see it, but we could only see it after the fact. Do, do you know what I'm saying? Right. How can we see it before? How can we solve our problems before? How can we gain this incredible perspective that David gains? He alone, by himself, sees something that nobody else can see. He's got a problem. Everybody's terrified, depressed, and dismayed about it. Maybe you are terrified, 
depressed and dismayed about something. Or maybe you're just medium level, I don't know how to solve this thing. But he gains God's perspective on something. And my question is this, very simple. How can we gain that perspective as well so that we could figure these things out? We could solve these problems. We can defeat the Goliaths that we face in our lives. That's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Now, Best-selling author Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book recently. It will put it up there for you on the screen. It's David and Goliath. This guy wrote Blink. He wrote Outliers. He wrote The Tipping Point. Very famous author, so maybe you're familiar with him. And so just recently, he's written this book, David and Goliath. He does an excellent job of describing the situation that's going on here between David and Goliath. And one of the things that he points out is this. In the military back then, there was three major divisions. There was cavalry. Who was in the cavalry? Who were those people? Ah, come on. You've got a bunch of Red Bull in you. You should be yelling and screaming and up, uh, jumping up and down like Jim Carrey, right? So you got, they're, they're riding the horses, right? The cavalry, they're riding the horses. So, and then you next you had the infantry. Obviously, Goliath is in the infantry because the writer of 1 Samuel chapter 17 goes to great lengths to tell us he's got, he's armored up head to toe. He talks about, you know, his shin guards and his spear and his sword. Those are infantry people. That's what infantry wears. And Goliath had this spear. And if you notice, Jotty did a good job of slowing down and telling us about the tip on that spear. Very important. Because infantry people would have this special spear and they could throw that thing out there. And if you were like five, ten feet away, man, it would pierce the tip on that, particularly the one that Goliath had, would pierce through any armor and would kill you. So anybody got within ten feet of Goliath, big, huge, strong guy, whammo, man, you're just dead. And then it had a, like a, ch- a special chain weight system that he could pull it back quickly. So in case he missed, he could launch it again. Goliath is in the infantry. Now what do you think David's in? David's not in the military, but if he was in the military, what would he be? He'd be in the artillery. He'd be in the artillery, right? Artillery, the ones that shoot the bows and the arrows, and also the slingers. Not swingers, slingers. Slingers. So he's got the little pouch, the little leather pouch, and you put a rock in there or something, or some kind of lead ball, and you got two ropes in there, and you just get that thing whipping really fast, and you could just sling that thing. You know, those guys with those Slings, the slingers, they were great. We have paintings from many, many years ago of slingers, like knocking birds out mid-flight, just kill them, taking right down. You know, you could seriously injure somebody with a sling, a slinger could, from how many yards? Let's just take a guess. How many yards away you think you could be? Let's do it in yards since it's football season. 50 yards, 50 yards, got 50. Anybody greater than 50? 500, 500 yards. Like, you don't even need to see the person. You're just slinging 500 yards. Can anybody get a mile? Okay, no. 200 yards, 200 yards away, two football fields away, you could seriously injure somebody. The book of Judges in the Old Testament, right? It's Judges. Judges Judges says that a good slinger could hit a hair. Like, the hair off your head could hit one. That's how accurate that they were. So here we have Goliath who's set to fight somebody who's 10 feet away from him and David can hit him 100 or 200 yards away from him and take him down. You know what Goliath's problem was? Goliath showed up to a gunfight with a sword. That's a problem for Goliath. That's how incredible slingers were. Well, how come, how come David's the only one who can see that? Let me tell you something else that nobody else was seeing that David, obviously, his eyes were open up and he could see this. Why everybody was Goliath so tall? Why is he so tall? I mean, we go to great lengths to tell us how tall the guy is. You think he's just tall because he's got good genes? Ah, maybe he's got a serious medical condition. 
This is a medical condition we know about today that where a tumor, a benign tumor, attaches to your pituitary gland and you go very, very tall. Right? The, the tallest person in the world was over eight feet tall. And when he died, he was still growing taller and taller. And he had this tumor. You know what this medical condition also involves besides growing really tall? Blurred vision. Blurred vision. So we're told in the story that Goliath, the infantryman, went out and had his shield bearer in front of him, marching him down as he would make the taunts and humiliate the enemy. You know what's wrong with that? Infantry, don't, they don't have shield bearers. They carry their own shield. Why does he have a shield bearer? When he goes down the side of the mountain, does he, does he have a shield bearer because he can't see? Does he have a shield bearer because he has blurred vision? And he's got a little tiny shield bearer guy saying, take him by the arm, come on, mighty giant Goliath, come down here and make. That's the scene that is being put before us. Check this out, verse number 40 of the chapter says that David takes his staff, singular, take his shepherd's staff, and he gets the stones, goes out five. And we're told in verse 43 that what does Goliath say back to him? He says, why are you coming at me with sticks? Plural. Did he think that David's singular staff was multiple sticks because his vision was so blurred? How about this finally in verse number 48? We're told that David, like at the last night, he just takes off running, sprinting at Goliath. And we're told, and it's hard to read in some versions, but here's what the Hebrew says, is that Goliath was walking slowly towards David. Did he have to walk slow because he couldn't see? I mean, not only is this guy weighted down with hundreds of pounds of armor on him, not only is he set up to kill somebody within 10 feet, but he's got this kid running around with a gun who can pick him off from 200 yards. And Goliath's there, come to me, come to me, because he needs David to come to him in order to win. And this is a piece of cake. Goliath is a sitting duck. He can't, he can't win. He can't win. He has showed up to a gunfight with a sword. It was impossible. Now, how come David's the only person that can see this? And that's the way it is many times with the fights that we have in our lives. And I want to talk about this morning, very briefly, how can we gain God's perspective as obviously David had God's perspective? Last week we talked about this. David had a heart for God. It's the only person in the Bible that we're told had a heart for God. David had a heart for God, and because David had a heart for God, David was anointed by God. And because David was anointed by God, chapter 18, verse number 14 says, David had great success. Now, we talked about what it means to be anointed last week. They put a drop of oil, or in some cases they put a lot of oil, but we talked about a drop of oil, and your, the oil represents the presence of God. It represents specifically the Holy Spirit being upon our lives. And so we're told numerous times, in just these three chapters alone, as we start David's life, 16, 17, and 18, the writer says five times to us. He's really trying to get a point. Five times in three chapters, the Holy Spirit was powerfully upon David. That means something. That means something. So I'd like you to write this in on your notes, if you like. It's on the back of your bulletin, and that is this. The Holy Spirit helps you to see helps you to see, helps you to gain understanding, helps you to gain perspective. And what's cool about this is you see this so clearly in David's life that he can see something that nobody else can see, but we also have Jesus Christ himself backing it up that when the Holy Spirit is upon our lives, we gain a perspective, we solve problems, we can understand what's going on, maybe when nobody else can, and we can't do it on our own, but when the Holy Spirit's on our life, we can see what well, we could not see before. Look what Jesus says in John 16, 13. He says, but when he, the spirit of truth, 
meaning the Holy Spirit, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. I think that's fascinating there. How many times you said, I wonder what God's will is for my life? What well, says here that the Holy Spirit will help us to know the truth about what God's will is for our life. That's, that's what the deal is. How many times have we faced a problem? What well, tells us here that the Holy Spirit shows us the truth about how we should tackle whatever problem it is we're facing. The Holy Spirit shows us the truth about spiritual things. The Holy Spirit shows us the truth about dilemmas that we face in life. This is what the Holy Spirit does. Now, imagine that, everybody. Imagine if we had that perspective like David did because the Holy Spirit was upon our lives in a similar fashion, and we could see and gain God's perspective. You know, this is what the Bible tells us about God the Father. The Bible tells us that God the Father, right now, symbolically, right, He is He is on the throne in heaven and He's seated. He's seated on the throne in heaven. You know what it means when you read in the Bible that somebody is seated on the throne? It means they're not working. It means their work is done. They've been seated. So when we're told about Jesus Christ, we're told that He ascends into heaven after the resurrection, right, dies on the cross, and then He goes to heaven and He's seated on the throne next to the Father. So they're both seated, which means both of them are not working. Now, have you ever thought, well, if the Father's not working in this world and Jesus is not working in this world, who's working around here, right? Have you ever walked into your place of work or your house, maybe, and you're like, who's working around here? Same situation here in the world. We have the Father, He's seated. We have Jesus seated. My question is, who's working around here? Because obviously, we need some work to be done around here. Is that not true? We need some help. So who's working? Jesus says, I'll tell you who's working. The Holy Spirit's working. There's been many times in my life, I wonder if maybe it, you can identify with this. So I thought, you know, I wish I would have lived 2,000 years ago, you know, minus all the major inconveniences that they had back then that I'm very happy for today. But let's just ignore that for just a second. I would have liked to have been around when Jesus was walking around so I could say, hey, could you explain this to me? Like, I got a problem with this thing, or why did this happen, or could you explain this verse to me? I don't understand this, or, or all kinds. I just have a million questions I would like to ask Jesus. You know what the deal is? Jesus isn't here. But Jesus says, somebody is here. And his name is the Holy Spirit. And if you've ever wanted to ask Jesus a question, he said, you know, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you and you can ask away, fire away. But I think to myself, how many times do I fail to do that very simple thing? And I say, hey, Holy Spirit, I don't understand something. And Jesus says, you're my guide to all truth. Could you, could you explain that to me? Could you help me to understand whatever problem is that I am facing? So I got problems. I have decisions. Many times in my life, I'm confused about things. And Jesus simply says, why don't you go to the Holy Spirit for help? About 20 years ago, I took a trip to Florida with, with my wife. And we're going down to see my grandfather. My grandfather was in the Navy. And so he's outside of Jacksonville near Mayport uh, Naval Base, I think it was called. And so we, we, we head down there because he's in an officer's. He's a, he was a captain in the Navy, so he's a retired Navy officer. And he's living in this retirement community down there. And so we, we go down there to visit. And we couldn't leave till later in the day here. So we were due to arrive at like you know midnight, which is tough because my grandfather goes to bed at 5 o'clock in the afternoon and gets up at 3 o'clock in the morning. But nonetheless, that's just a side note. So we're due to get there at 12 o'clock. And this, this is back in the day before GPS, 
You know what I'm saying? We had no, there was no guidance. There was no global positioning system for us. There was nothing. It was just, we didn't even have a map. We had handwritten notes on, okay, take this turn. You're going to see a tree and turn here. So we're doing that. So we're in this in the middle of the night. I remember it gets about 12 o'clock and it was obvious that we kind of didn't know where we were. And I just, I was thinking about this too this morning as I was talking about this in the first service. There was like a fog that kind of settled in the area. So we had, it was all working against us. And about one o'clock in the morning, we still weren't there. It was getting obvious that we had no clue where we were. And so I'm driving and there was a voice calling to me from the other seat. This voice is calling, stop and ask for direction. Stop. There's a voice. It's called. I know. It looked like it was coming out of a person about five foot four or something like that. Stop and ask for directions. Well, I didn't, I, 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 I didn't want to. What is that about not wanting to? I didn't want to. And, you know, eventually I didn't. I did not ask for directions, and doggone it, we found that location at about 3, 4, 5 o'clock in the morning, you know. We gave a, a whole night's sleep, but I did it my way, right? So here's the thing, uh, GPS, global positioning system. You know what the Holy Spirit is in your life? It's God's positioning system for you. And the Holy Spirit is not a gadget. The Holy Spirit is a person, but that's God's positioning system for you. Helps you to get on target. Helps you to get where God wants you to go. And how many times in my own life do I not bother to ask the Holy Spirit, am I too defiant, too independent? I'll do it my way. And instead, I just want to figure out myself. And sometimes I'll complain at God and I'll say, God, why aren't you telling me what to do about this? Why am I in this mess? And he's like, why aren't you asking for guidance from the guide, which is the Holy Spirit, to guide you. Very simple, very, very profound uh, in, in my life that I fail to ask. The Holy Spirit really helps us in so many ways. You know, the Holy Spirit is a great coach for husbands. I don't know if anybody here needs help as a husband this morning. I know no wives are going to raise their hand and say, yeah, he needs help. But um, I found in my own life simple things, some very simple practical things. The Holy Spirit, you know, like sometimes I'll come home from work or Crystal will come home from work and you know, she'll, it hardly ever happens, but you know, she just unloads all kinds of stuff. All the time. She talk, it very seldom happens. But uh, saying stuff and, and my immediate reaction for some reason, I don't know, I don't want to speak for other men, for, just for me, I like want to say, hey, well, you should do X, Y. And, you know, I just feel this strong urge to say this and I'll, I'll sense like, like a prompting, like a little whisper, like the Holy Spirit saying, you know, hey, why don't you just shut up and be supportive and just like listen. And sometimes I'll listen to that voice and man, it's a beautiful, beautiful night. And sometimes I don't and my man, it all breaks loose, right? So yeah, great coach. How about financial decisions? There have been times in my life where I just sent this prompting. You know what, John? That's not a good move to make. Be, be, you know, be careful. Career decisions, relational issues, I talked last week about the starting of Grace Community Church. Before Grace Community Church started 13 years ago, I was at an extremely low place. I never wanted to be in the ministry again. I just didn't. I was done. I was out. For some reason, I felt prompted that I should take three weeks and just pray. I felt that so strongly. At the end of three weeks, I had this whisper. And the whisper simply said this, try it again. And that was the Holy Spirit. And that's why all of us are here today. It was a prompting. It was a whisper of the Spirit. Try it again. Now, here's, the, here, here's where we have a problem. We have a big problem. Not all of us have the Holy Spirit according to the Bible. We don't all have the Holy Spirit. 
Well, how do we receive the gift of the Spirit? Look what Acts 2.38 says. And this is said within the context, everybody, of a very important sermon that Peter gives. It lasts the entire second chapter of the book of Acts. It's a phenomenal sermon. And the sermon is all about putting your trust in Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. But look what he says at the end of the sermon. They say, what do we need to do? And he says, repent. You need to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know what the word repent means? It means to turn around. So you're headed in this direction and repent means to turn around. So what is he talking about in context of the sermon? He said, you know what? You all are trying to figure out and do things. You're even trying to serve God in your own strength and your own way. And you need to repent of that and you need to put all of your trust in Jesus Christ and just trust him as Lord and Savior of your life. And then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We can't receive the gift of the Holy Spirit until we do that we have to repent so we all don't have the holy spirit we need the holy spirit itself so here's the second thing i want you to write down this is super important everybody so so the holy spirit helps you to see but now we got to back up a whole nother step because we don't all have the holy spirit so how do we get the holy spirit the holy spirit helps you to say the holy spirit helps you to speak what does the holy spirit speak speak what well this is this is this is really very critical because what of what is said in first corinthians chapter 12 verse number three and it's said many other places in the bible that this really sums it up in one point look what it says no one you know what no one means it means nobody can do this no one can say jesus christ is lord so nobody can do what peter has just asked everybody to do to trust in jesus christ as lord and savior of their life nobody can do that nobody can do that except by the holy spirit you know what that's saying? That when I profess Jesus Christ to be Lord over my life, that I can't be Lord over that process. Sometimes, you know, we think as we're trying, and I know many of us in this room, we're still like struggling with that. Is Jesus Christ Lord? I'm not sure. Some of us grew up in church. Some of us did. And we're like, you know, when I get comfortable with it in my time, once I gather enough information, once I figure enough things out, once I'm like thoroughly convinced that Jesus Christ is Lord, okay, then I'll maybe, might, you know, we we like to leave our options open. We're in a world that likes to leave its options open, right? In that time, maybe I'll, I'll say Jesus Christ is Lord. But you know what this is saying? You know, you, do you know what this is saying? This is you can't accept Jesus Christ is Lord and be Lord over the process. Like, we don't even get to be, we want to because, because of our own independence. We want to be Lord over the process of even calling Jesus as Lord. Doesn't that, isn't that kind of whacked out? Like, I'm going to call you Lord, but I'm going to be in charge and Lord over the process of calling you Lord. And Jesus says we can't do that. So Jesus' famous discussion with Nicodemus in John chapter 3, right? You all know John 3, 16, one of the most famous verses in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him shall be saved. But he says just before that, he says to Nicodemus, look, the Holy Spirit is like the wind and you can't control the wind. And so here's the thing. We have to, even to receive the gift of the Spirit, even to understand that Jesus Christ is Lord, even to be able to say truly and genuinely that Jesus Christ is Lord, it has to be revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does it. We don't even control that process. I'd like to tell you briefly about a night that I was arrested in Brussels, Belgium many years ago. I was there when I was 18 years old and I was with a group uh, taking a class and we took a trip. We took a trip up to Brussels, Belgium. And I was standing outside of a coffee house at midnight and the police came along and they wanted to see everybody's passport. 
lo and behold, all 20 people were good. There was something wrong with my passport. To this day, we don't know what was wrong with my passport, but I was 18 years old. They threw me in the back of a police car and they took me down to the station. They kept me there at three o'clock in the morning, fingerprinted me, took my shot. And then they said to me, get out. And so at three o'clock in the morning, 18, never been in Brussels in my life. Obviously I don't speak the language because I'm an American and uh, I'm out on the street. And I just said to them, and they had very broken English, I said, you know, train station. Why did I say train station? I, where am I going to go? I mean, I don't you know, you know. I knew we were staying in this town called Levon, Lanouve, or something like I couldn't spell it. I kind of remotely knew how to say it. But I just figured, train station. It's that way. Well, you know, in big cities, the train station sometimes has some pretty sketchy areas around it. <laughs> oh, yeah. So i 18 years old. I'm walking through, get down, and it's really tough. I don't know how to survive, but I, here's what I really want to tell you. I get there, and, and there's a guy who looks like a security guard, and I tried to ask him a question. He spoke no English, but there's another kid there. He's my age, 18 years old, and uh, he was from Belgium, and he'd been backpacking all over Europe. He heard me say, hey, I speak English. Let's talk. So he wanted to try his English out. We had a wonderful conversation. His life was an absolute wreck. I mean, it was a mess. You know, he got mugged here and mugged there and beaten up here and all this kind of stuff. And he was trying to figure out life and he's trying to figure out God. Isn't that interesting? He's trying to figure out God. And he said to me, you know, tell me about yourself. Tell me why you... And so I, you know, told him a little bit of my story after he talked like for an hour about his story. And he says, you know, I don't believe in God. You know, and I, and I, but he wanted to, he wanted to figure that out. And, and I said to him, I said, look, I know you're trying because he described how he was trying so hard to figure it out in his mind. Did God exist? Is Jesus Christ his savior? I said, what, what if you did this? Very simple. What if you just said to God, what if you said to the Holy Spirit, Hey, I'm having a hard time figuring this out on myself. Could you reveal it to me? Could, like, could you do it? Like I've given all my effort. I've come up with nothing. Could you show me? And he said, I'm not going to do that. I said, uh, why? I mean, you're t- he said, I'm going to do it my own time, my own way. And if God's going to reveal it to me, I'm not going to ask him to it. Right? Uh, I'm, like, I'm going to make this as most difficult as possible. Why are we that way as human beings? Why do we want to be a Lord over the very process of what we call Jesus Christ Lord? This is a very simple thing, very simple thing. And many of us are in that place this morning, whatever your Goliath is. But if you're a spiritual Goliath and you're figuring out Jesus Christ, would you consider this morning and say, you know, Holy Spirit, I can't even say Jesus Christ is Lord unless you reveal it. Some of us grew up in church. Well, oh, I've been a Christian all my life. Look, I've seen all kinds of people raise their hand, come down front, pray prayers, all these kind of things. Jesus, you know, look, there's a difference between somebody like out of fear I'm going to go to hell, so Jesus is Lord. Okay. You know, or emotional, you know, or my parents are Christians, so of course I'm a Christian. I've always been a Christian. There's a difference between that and somebody, everybody, who has a revelation of the Holy Spirit that Jesus Christ is Lord. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever met somebody like that who's been genuinely transformed? I've talked about my father-in-law many times. You know, the little fellow out front, Big Russ, right? It's my father-in-law. The guy was a hell raiser, party animal, maniac guy. God doesn't want anything to do with me. And one day, one day in his house, God showed up. God showed up. And it was over. And his life was transformed overnight. Has that ever happened to you? It takes the Holy Spirit to do that. It's, we're not Lord of that process. Jesus Christ is Lord. And I want to invite you. I want to invite you to ask the Holy Spirit to guide that in your life. Now, I want to conclude by, by just sharing, sharing this with you real quick. Look what it says. So, so, so 1 Samuel 18, verses 1, 1 and 4 here, everybody. So the fight's over. <laughs> it's, 
it might be gruesome to some people, but some of us might, maybe some guys in the room find this cool. So, you know, he kills, well, he knocks out Goliath, right? Bam! The boy's down. David runs up, doesn't have a sword, so he pulls Goliath's sword out, cuts Goliath's head off, and he's marching up the hill. All of his Israeli soldiers are running this way because they're just killing the Philistines like crazy. And there's David, little fellow, little fellow, right? And he's got him by the hair. He's got this, and he, you know he's got a big head because he's a big fellow. And he's just pulling out, and then King Saul sees him, and he's just standing. You can see little David standing there talking to big King Saul, holding that, you know, in his head. And so after that conversation's over, don't know what he did with the head after that, but after the conversation's over, the king's son, Jonathan, everybody, the king's son, the next in line to the throne, the next king comes over and talks to him. And here's what he says. So he says, after David finished talking to Saul, Jonathan, king's son, becomes one in spirit. I think that's quite interesting. They become one in spirit with David. Now here it goes. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David. What does that mean? Jonathan is going to be king. Everybody, everybody knows that Saul's advanced in age. Jonathan is going to be king. And the robe he was wearing were royal robes. And God, the Holy Spirit, opened his eyes and he said, that little fellow that just marched down into that valley of death is the true king. And he took his robe off and he puts it on David. Have you ever done that? All of us are kings of our own domain, aren't we? Have you taken your royal robe off, the king of your own life, and say, you know what? I'm no longer going to be king. The true king is Jesus Christ. Jesus, after he is crucified and he's resurrected, he meets some of his disciples. And they're walking on this road. It's called the road to Emmaus. They're walking on this road to Emmaus. And the disciples are all dismayed about Jesus dying. And Jesus says, why are you guys so upset? And then it says this, it says, Jesus begins to take them through the scriptures, starting all the way, 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 way back in the Old Testament with the prophets and all the stories. And he says this to them, this is really important. This is so important to you understanding the Bible. I didn't, until I got this a few years ago, the Old Testament wasn't making as much sense as it should have. And Jesus says to them, every story, every prophecy, everything has to do with me, has to do with Jesus Christ, like I'm in every story. So as you are reading this story of David and Goliath, where do you see Jesus? Because Jesus is in there. So you know what God tells us in Exodus chapter 15? God says, I'm a warrior. I am a warrior. I am a fighter, and I will fight for you. So as we see David going down into that valley of death, that's Jesus Christ marching down in that valley. I started this, all, this whole thing off by talking about nobody would fight for the Israelites. There was nobody. And then here comes David along. David has the fight. Now, <clears throat> I don't know if this is just, you know, a, a guy thing or not. But um, when I have a friend and uh, we're, you know, we're talking, and I've had this happen to me a number of times. A friend will say to me, a guy friend will say to me, I've never been in a fight. I don't, I don't know about you, but that makes me a little nervous. And, I, you know, because I'm just wondering to myself, I just wonder to myself, I've never been in a fight. You know, if, if things go bad, like all of a sudden, and you've never been in a fight, I have no idea what you're going to do. You, 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 you know, does anybody else think the same way I do? I have no idea. I don't know if you're going to turn and run, scared. Are you, are you going to get in a fetal position and cry? Or when it's down, when it's all coming down on me, are you going to jump up and fight with me? I just, I don't know. As a guy, I want to know, you know, what are, what are you going to do? Do you have what it takes? Are you going to fight? I know, women, you're probably not 
thinking anything like that, but whatever. And maybe some guys aren't thinking that way, but I just, just me, I want to know. I, I, I know, look, I know some people in this room right now that if something went down, I would know exactly who's going to step up and fight with me. You, you know, it's just, it's a good thing to know. And as a kid growing up, you always, you always wonder that about you, particularly as a guy growing up, you wonder, hey man, if everything all of a sudden falls apart, how would I react? You know, would I be like Rambo or would I be like 007? What, what would I be like? What, what, how, would I, how would I respond when the chips are down? The night I graduated from high school, uh, I had dropped Krista off at her house and I was coming back home. And I was right here at this intersection, right up the street here at Route 50 and George Mason. You know, there's a light right there. And I'm stopped at that light and I had forgotten that I had two helium balloons behind the seat of my car. They were like wedged in from the front seat to the back seat. As I'm stopped at light, all of a sudden they came loose and they popped up. And when they popped up, they looked like two heads. Like there was two guys in my back seat. And I remember stopped at that light and I saw it. My immediate response is, and I, and I charged the back seat. Like I flew from the front driver's seat all the way to the back seat, you know. So I knew if I was ever attacked in the middle of the night by two balloons, I knew... <laughs> I knew how I was going to react. I mean, I wasn't, no balloons were going to defeat me. I was going to punch those balloons right in the face and have victory. Now, the guy in the car next to me that night, he's like, what's this, what's this guy doing, man? <laughs> yeah, I'm, like, I'm like, balloons, I just, balloons. <laughs> hey. It's proven. You know, when you see somebody who will fight for you and that's proof, you know where you stand, right? It's a proven fact where Jesus Christ stands. He's a warrior. He's a fighter. He's already proved it. That's what the cross is all about. Every single one of you are going to march down in the valley of the shadow of death. Every single one of us here in this room. Death is 100%. We're all going to die. And Jesus says, I'm going to prove it to you. You already know how I'm going to respond. I am going to fight for you. I'm not going to leave you down there by yourself. I can and I will fight for you because I'm a warrior. You don't have to leave here this morning wondering how Jesus will respond to you when you're in a bad situation. He will fight for you. For you, for those of you this morning who have never trusted Jesus Christ, you've never taken off your royal robes, I just want to ask you to consider doing one thing. Would you ask the Holy Spirit to guide you into that truth? Would you ask the Holy Spirit? Would you step up to the plate and ask the Holy Spirit, figure it out, guide me into all the truth about this? For the rest of us, we're talking about living a full throttle life where we're spiritually fired up. You know how you can do that? is you can seek the guidance of the Holy Spirit every day over every situation, over every problem, over every triumph, over every confusion. God, guide my life. You know what I've noticed in my life? I fail to do it so often, but I'm telling you, the moment I do, there's an immediate charge. Like I just drank a bunch of spiritual Red Bull, right? There's an immediate charge that happens in my life, and I highly encourage you to do that. Our prayer team is going to be over here if anybody wants to pray uh, with somebody about those decisions today. Let's, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, so much for your love and your patience and the practical guidance you give us through your word. Lord, 
I just can imagine this entire auditorium filled up with people who are looking for your guidance, Holy Spirit. And what would happen if all of us every day just said, Holy Spirit, guide my life. And we just live spiritually charged, full throttle lives. God, let it be the case. But the person right now who's like grappling wrestling with the decision, should I ask you, Holy Spirit, to guide me into the truth about Jesus Christ? Help them to be able to launch that prayer out, to allow you to be Lord over the whole process. Lord, for all of us, let us gain your perspective. Please, in Christ's holy name, we thank you, Lord. Amen. God bless you. Great to see you today. Thanks for coming. Remember, we got sign-ups outside. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.